We hear a lot of perspectives on the Mankind Podcast. Inclusion of a guest is not an endorsement of their views, and the opinions expressed here do not always represent the mission or values of the Mankind Project USA. Looks like the rain has gone. G'day and welcome to another episode of the Mankind Podcast, the show where we break the molds of modern manhood to prove there is more than one way to be a man. I'm your host, Brandon Clift, and today we are going to give you a throwback to an interview that Boyson and I did with U.S. Executive Director of the Movember Foundation, Mark Hedstrom. Now, the reason why we're bringing this episode back is because today, as of the time of this recording, marks the 1st of November, which is a time in which you might notice a lot more fuzzy stashes start to pop up all over the globe to raise much-needed awareness and funds for men's mental and physical health. Now, a journey that began with a few men in Melbourne, Australia, growing mustaches has bloomed into a global movement. Movember, as it's known, has raised over $800 million, advocating primarily for men's health issues, including prostate and testicular cancer, along with mental health and suicide prevention. Now, we bring back Mark from the Movember Foundation to walk us through this heartening transformation, articulating the significance of both physical and mental health in men's lives. Through this conversation, we're going to bring up the ALEC model, where we learn the power of asking, listening without judgment, and encouraging action, and following up and checking in. We also explore the nuances and the different aspects of masculinity and vulnerability, where Mark really underscores the need for redefining strength as an attribute that includes emotional expression and empathy. Now, the reverberations of the COVID-19 pandemic on men's mental health are also put under the microscope as we discuss the importance of all of the contrib- contributions and the steps Movember is taking to support men re-entering the workforce and getting out of isolation. And in our final stride in the interview, we touch upon the unacknowledged collective grief brought on about by the pandemic and the ways to process it on a personal level. Now, I loved this interview two years ago. It's amazing. And this episode really underlines the fact that men's health is not just a November concern, but a year-round priority. So I would like to welcome you along to this enlightening interview and journey with us as we redefine, rediscover, and reclaim men's health one mustache at a time. I just wish I could grow one. (laughs) Just peach fuzz over here, but I'll do my darndest. For those that want to find, before we jump in the episode though, for those that want to find out ways to contribute to the Movember Foundation, you can start your own page and raise money as you grow your mustache over November, or you can just donate to someone else's fund by heading to Movember.com. But that is enough from me. Enjoy this episode with Mark Hedstrom from the Movember Foundation. Enjoy. Mark, thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Boyson, for having me on. Excited for the conversation. Uh, today and quick thank you to you for being involved in Movember for a number of years so really do appreciate that uh, support absolutely it is uh, so let's start there so I know that many of the listeners for the Mankind podcast will be familiar with Movember and kind of backstory but why don't we start with a little bit of history about Movember that I don't have start with how did it get started and how it's grown over the years. Yeah, so 
We um, started as a foundation, actually just an idea, in Melbourne, Australia back in 2003. Um, two brothers and two of their friends uh, wanted to have a mustache-growing um, event. One of them had their birthday at the end of the month, and they decided to grow mustaches, and only a mustache for the 30 days of November uh, at that time. And I think throughout that uh, month, they got a lot of questions from people in their lives, like, why are you doing this? Why do you have an awkward mustache in your face 10 days in? Uh, and they didn't have a clear answer, but um, a few of them had been working in uh, the breast cancer space, breast cancer awareness space in Australia, and started doing a little digging uh, and came around to, obviously, uh, the challenges that uh, face men with respect to prostate cancer. And there really was no conversation like there was in breast cancer about the risks that men face and what men can do with respect to being diagnosed with prostate cancer. So you fast forward from that conversation to 2004, they established the November campaign uh, more formally. Uh, they started fundraising against that. And then in 2007, it was probably the biggest movement in the foundation's history, which is we moved out into uh, 19 other markets globally, including the US, Canada, uh, the UK, and most of mainland Europe. And from there, we've gone from you know, it was a very just fun idea of men growing mustaches together to be a little bit competitive, have a little fun, to um, a serious conversation about men's health in the past, uh, what is now, you know, 17 years and coming on our 18th campaign um, with respect to men's health uh, as it's, you know, a real challenge. And I think, you know, as you guys have been talking about this, uh, it's something that we look at too. So, you know, you go from 2003, a very small uh, idea, to a global campaign in 20 countries in uh, 2021. To date, we've raised about $800 million U.S. Uh, globally, and we invest in prostate cancer, testicular cancer, and men and boys mental health and suicide prevention. That is $800 million worldwide. That is incredible. Um, and starting with one idea and what I have noticed been amazed by and been heartened by is that you started kind of very, it seemed that November started kind of very focused on prostate cancer and testicular cancer and now has really expanded. And uh, the Movember Foundation is also doing, supporting a whole lot of other projects out there. Can you talk more about some of the projects that the foundation is supporting? Yeah, and I think um, when you step back and look at the success of the campaign and what November's done over that 18-year horizon um, of raising $800 million plus, the, the significance of what we've invested in is, is the most important piece and what we're most proud of. But our origins really came from looking at prostate cancer and saying, okay, well, clearly there's a need, an unmet need around raising awareness for men, uh, engaging them in a conversation, encouraging them to take action, and also invest in biomedical research at the time, which was really what was the focus, right? Awareness raising and investment in research. But in that time, when we started that piece of work back in 2004, in or around 2006, in Australia and New Zealand, we started to have the conversation around prostate cancer, not the physical aspects of the disease and treating that physical challenge, but also the mental health aspects that men face, right? Because prostate cancer at its root, based upon treatment, can have some really uh, difficult outcomes. That being erectile dysfunction, incontinence, and some other real challenges that go to the root of masculinity and manhood, 
uh, and can negatively impact the mental health of men who, who have that complication as a result of their treatment. So very quickly in 2006 and then uh, in 2014 in the U.S., we started moving down the path of looking at prostate cancer, for instance, holistically. What are the physical attributes and treatments that we need to put in place? What are better diagnostics we need to use? But also, how do we help men navigate making the best decision for themselves and their partners, right? What is the best outcome for them? How do we define that with them? So it was a very simple bridge from what we were doing in cancer around mental health to the larger issue that we're focused on now, which is mental health for men and boys and suicide prevention in particular. You know, if you step back and look at, and I'll take a U.S. context for a quick example, um, in the U.S., unfortunately, we lose about 45,000 Americans each year to suicide. Of that, 80% of those are men. And so the question that we're asking, along with other organizations that are focused on this really unique, difficult challenge is, well, why is that? And so when we step back and look at our programming and what we invest in programming for mental health, it's really all the way up front. How do we better inform men about some of the challenges? How do we change the conversation about what masculinity and manhood means? How do we engage men in self-care? How do we engage men in peer support? In a prevention, early intervention set of measures. So we've developed programming in those two prevention, early intervention spaces that focuses on how do we educate men about the risks they face? How do we educate those men and those people that care for those men to have a conversation? And then how do they continue to come back to that conversation? So if a man is going in a, in a challenging direction, how can those that love him, support him, help him navigate through to a better outcome? So a lot of our work is really focused on social connection and conversation. How do we get men to talk about their issues? How do we provide them the safe space to have those conversations? Beautiful, well said, uh, to provide a safe space to have those conversations. And that resonates so powerfully with the work that the Mankind Project is doing also, that kind of social emotional health and social emotional connection and learning and relational, relational skill building, right? That leads to the kind of impacts that we wanna have. That's beautiful. So. And from here, from sitting in 2021, what is Movember's vision? So you're still doing what you started out doing in 2003. We'll still launch that campaign. You're still doing the kind of outreach and awareness building and direct intervention. What is the vision for where you're headed? I think one of the things that um, we've come back around to in the last four years, and, and you would have seen this in terms of how we've been moving from balancing the fun and the serious side of November, right? We talk about it as the two sides of the mustache. So how do we keep that fun, engaging campaign that we run every year, but also how do we start engaging in the conversation that needs to happen year round about men's health? and about masculinity and about mental health as an example, because it doesn't just happen in November. Sure, that's a great time for us to really dig in and engage in the conversation, make it fun for people, but provide them resources that they can use in their own lives. So, you know, November is a great opportunity to reconnect with your uncles, brothers, fathers, you know, sons, and 
you know, have a little fun with growing a mustache or moving together or hosting an event together and use that as a social connection point, right? To reestablish or, or, or reconnect with folks or, or deepen a connection with someone. But when we step back and look at it, mental health and physical health doesn't happen just for the 30 days of November, right? We have to be engaging and advocating on behalf of men throughout the year, uh, engaging men uh, in those conversations around male cancers and mental health throughout the year. So when you look at the campaign, the side of the business that I spend most of my time in, um, you know, we have moments in time like the coming campaign on November 1st, but also where else can we be engaging? So, you know, focusing on Father's Day as an example, because we know that knowledge sharing between generations, whether that be knowledge sharing with, you know, daughters or sons is important. How do we help men do that? How do we find that opportunity within Father's Day to use that as a point to have a conversation with men? So expanding out into the rest of a year, uh, but spending more time in the give side of that conversation that November wants to have. How do we give men the tools? How do we give men the opportunities? How do we give men the chances to have those types of conversations, whether it's a product that we have like Movember Conversations, which I can talk to, or just a moment in time to remind men that this is a good time to, to check in with uh, those that they care about. So that's one piece. And I think the other that kind of sits at the base of our strategy is when you look at how men interact and the social connection they have, right, we've got to go to where they are. And that can be a community of men. So black men with prostate cancer, which is a big focus for the foundation. How do we help engage that population of black men that are two and a half times at greater risk for developing prostate cancer uh, in their lifetime than the average population? How do we go to that community where they are in a place where they feel that they can have an open, honest conversation? Is that at the local church? Is it at the community center? Is it at the black barbershop? And then you look at the other side of where men are, which is those places and spaces in their life. So a first time dad, right? Uh, how do I engage in a more positive parenting style with my son or daughter? How do I help them navigate through conversations? How do I help myself navigate through difficult conversations with a four-year-old? Um, all the way through to being in the workforce, right? Men spend a lot of time in, in their workplace. How do we engage them there? Uh, men spend time in the university setting. How do we inform and influence their thinking about things like masculinity and social connection at an early stage in their lives? So two things is expanding out throughout the year, but also looking for those connection points with a specific community or connection point in a man's life that works. And what we found is, is when we've done that work, the conversation is deeper because the man or groups of men are more open to the conversation, more open to sharing. Um, and then, you know, obviously coming back around to the fun campaign and not losing that brand uh, that sits behind what Movember is to a lot of men, you know, making sure we still have fun with it because I think men want to have fun. They want to engage in serious conversation, but it's also an opportunity for them to maybe let loose a bit, you know, have a little bit more fun with their uh, growing of a mustache in you know, the financial sector where they often probably aren't allowed to. So how do we leverage those two things throughout the year? Thank you. Beautiful. Yes, the, the fun and the cognitive dissonance that the campaign creates also, right? It's, it's that if I'm going to grow a mustache and on my face growing a mustache, my family was horrified, absolutely horrified. 
but it creates a like shock in anyone I meet, right? So what's that about? It's instant, instant fun, instant creation kind of throws us out of our norms. Thank you for all that, Mark. So I want to bring this back. So a little closer to home for you as a man, Mankind Project is about stopping and slowing down and, and checking in. So I'm curious what got you involved in the Movember Foundation and what are the kinds of learnings that you've had uh, about supporting men through the foundation's work. So how was this personal for you? Mm. That's a couple, couple uh, answers to that question. But I think the one I often refer back to is um, just understanding my relationship with my father and my brothers, uh, you know, having, having grown up uh, over the past, you know, 40 plus years with three other men in my life uh, and watching us all navigate, you know, what masculinity and success look like to my father versus how it looks to my brothers and myself. And so I think, you know, on a personal level, it's about um, how my members allowed me to engage in that very personal journey. And I think through that process, it's really helped me then inform, um, you know, my relationship with my father and my brothers, you know, being more empathetic, not being so closed off, um, really pushing back on what I was raised uh, in thinking that masculinity was all about uh, and, and sort of the rigid stoic structure uh, it presented as in my, in my family um, through to, you know, how I look at reflect on that as I raise my son, um, you know, and how, making that connection between my father and my my son and making that connection between myself and my son and how do i how do i take what i've learned over a long period of time and how november has really influenced my thinking on this and listening to other men um to impact my relationship with my son and hopefully you know out the other end comes you know a kind compassionate thoughtful empathetic human being and that very personal thing for me is, is, um, you know, when I first showed up in the doors of November, you know, almost 10 years ago, I wasn't thinking in those terms. Um, and it's, it's dramatically changed, um, in that time. And, you know, as, as our family grew. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And I'm, I get really inspired seeing those kinds of transformations also where it's like, wow, what I, what I was taught, how I was, I was programmed, what my dad taught me. Wow. Is it working? Not really. Is there a different way of doing it? Let's go see. And I want to comment on Movember as a place to do that together too. That's been a, uh, that's been transformative for me is recognizing I don't have to do this kind of journey alone. So thank you to, you know, Mankind Project. Thank you to Movember for creating those kinds of spaces where we recognize we don't have to be in that conversation by ourselves. Yeah, I think the one thing I just know anecdotally and we obviously look at this from a, a research lens as well. And, you know, as we design programs, we're focused on evidence. So evidence-based approaches to prevention or intervention. But the one thing I keep coming back to just anecdotally, you know, in my, in my 10 years of, of being with the foundation is 
the community of men and women uh, and others that support uh, men in their lives, the, the, the pivot to talking holistically about men's health, I think, has been uh, really welcomed and acknowledged. So, you know, people who are focused on their father had prostate cancer, right? And they engaged in November because that's what they cared about, and that was their that was their initial uh, attraction to what we were trying to do. Um, it has moved with time. So, long-time November community um, individuals have have you know. Really, as we started moving into looking at prostate cancer more holistically and then into mental health, they've all come back around and said, now this is for me, right? It, it was about me focusing on my father and his journey in prostate cancer, but now I have something and I have a reason myself to be involved. You know, I'm, you know, I'm struggling with depression or anxiety or, you know, I have a friend who is, and now you're providing support and you know, programming to myself that makes me more engaged in what you're trying to do. So there's a deepening of that relationship with those community members that, you know, I think really took time uh, to bring that forward. And, and it was intentional because we knew that there was a huge unmet need, not only in male cancers, but in men's mental health. And we had an opportunity to really bring some stuff forward. And, you know, hopefully at the end of this, you know, have a positive impact on the lives of men. My next question, I asked Mark, what are three or four things that Movember has helped you learn that you really want to spread? What do you want all of our Mankind podcast listeners to be aware of? There's a couple things that I'd say to that. One is I've learned to be a more active listener. And in that, with my partner, with my son, with my friends, uh, my family. So, But in that active listening, I think... I've been programmed to try to solve the problem. And what I've paused on, because I've had, you know, um, some very close friends of mine who, who are struggling, um, what I pause on is listening without judgment and leaving it there, not trying to solve the problem for them. And that's something that came out of our work in Australia with a group called Beyond Blue and, and leveraging our model called ALEC, which is ask, listen, and I always say listen without judgment, encourage action. So don't try to solve that man's problem in the moment. Actually encourage them to, to take agency and solve that problem, but making sure the C part is you come back to it, you check back in, right? You're, you're a constant source. You're always available uh, and you're always going to tell them, I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to see how you're doing and I want to you know, have this conversation and help you where I can. So the ALEC model is really key, but in that, that, that active listening that everyone talks about, Right, but it's hard to do, uh, and it's hard for me to do. Uh, is really important. I think the other thing that I would say is having emotion or showing empathy or showing vulnerability is not weakness. It's not weakness for men, um, and I think that's something we really need to challenge. That by showing that you care or that you can hurt or that you're not okay, that's not a sign of weakness. That's actually a sign of strength. And I think a lot of men struggle with that, particularly men of my age and older, um, because they were told that that was a sign of weakness. And, and I think we need to push back on that. And that's something that I've learned, you know, that I have to be more, I have to be more emotive. I have to be more empathetic. I have to be more vulnerable because that's going to make me a better person. And it's going to reflect better towards my son as to what healthy masculinity can look like. Uh, and the last one I'd say is like, we can't do this without others in our lives. You know, my partner, um, my son, 
the women in my life, um, you know, it, men's health is not just for men, just as women's health is not just for women. We can be allies in women's health. We can be allies in women's rights. We can be allies in LGBTQI um, movements and rights and conversations. Like we can be those allies, but we need those same individuals and communities to, to look at men's health more holistically and say, how can I help men? Like, how can we move forward together to solve what may be different issues, but be there to help bring stuff forward? So I think allyship uh, and this concept that's moving through, you know, a lot of conversations in diversity, equity, and inclusion, how do we build that together? How do we look at a men's health issue, right, around things like the suicide rate amongst men and say, that's actually a societal problem. How do we help men? And then you look at what's happening with, with women's reproductive rights or LGBTQ rights. How do we become better allies as men for those women and for those that identify differently? I love that answer. And there it is, the ALEC model that he brought forward. So the idea of ask, listen without judgment, encourage actions, and check back in. Then I spoke with Mark about the pandemic. And here we are in 2021. Many of us have been in some aspect of some kind of lockdown or social distancing, uh, physical distancing from others. How is that impacting the work that Movember is doing? A number of things, right? Um, I think one of the first things we did when things started locking down in March and April last year globally was we realized we had a role to play. Uh, and that role was understanding first the, the the concept of social distancing. You know that language is critical to understand how it can influence people's thinking. Right? It's actually a physical distance first. And when we heard sort of permeating through media and through conversation this idea behind social distancing, we knew right then and there that was going to be a huge challenge for men in particular, right? The places and spaces that we were talking about earlier, the barbershops, the sport events, you know, the bars that they would go to to watch a game, those were all gonna get shut down. So that social connection was gonna be extremely hampered. And so men were not gonna be in a good place for however the lockdown was gonna happen. And if you talk to um, folks in Australia that I talk to on a daily basis, the approach that they've taken there is very different than what it is in the US. And there's concern there about what it's doing to the social fabric, the social connection, particularly for men, as much as it is here, it's going to look differently in the future. So very early on, um, back in March, April of last year, we said, what can we do to expedite delivering programs to combat this physical distancing that we knew was coming, that this loss of social connection that we knew was coming, because we know five years from now, 10 years from now, that's going to have a negative knock-on effect to men's mental health. So we, we pivoted pretty quickly to looking at mental health as the linchpin. How do we develop social connection programming? Um, and then how do we get that out there? How do we get it in the hands of men and those that care for men? Um, I think from, you know, from the campaign perspective and, and, and how we approach that, you know, we, we did what we could, just like everyone else in the peer-to-peer -peer, uh, nonprofit fundraising space trying to insulate and isolate um, the risks that we faced as we went into campaign. The small opportunity we had with respect to that is that we could leave with programming 
pivot to the give side of what we do as a foundation. And we had time with the ask side of what we do as a foundation in terms of November, when it happened against when things started going into lockdown. So we had time um, in both respects. And I think that that did help us uh, in some ways. Uh, and, you know, the nonprofit industry last year um, was in a very bad state. And, and that's not a good thing because, you know, why were things happening in other industries? Uh, some industries have thrived during this time. Others have been um, decimated small business, you know, restaurants, um, and in the nonprofit space, that social safety net that nonprofits provide, even at the smallest community level, has been eroded. A lot of foundations didn't survive, and so you look at that, whether it's in our work and what we do in mental health, or you know, providing economic support, or just providing food on the table for families. A lot of foundations have have had to shutter, and so that social safety net. Uh, in the U.S. and other markets has, has really been decimated. And so what do we do to rebuild that uh, in the next, in, in the coming years, in the next uh, coming decades? Because I think it's going to potentially create a challenge for all of us. Thank you for that, Mark. Something that we have noticed in the Mankind Project, because we're primarily a face-to-face -face organization, you know, peer-facilitated, face-to-face support groups for men, face-to-face -face training experiences for men. And something that I've noted in being in the online world is that the level of kind of traumatic stress that men are experiencing um, in, their, in their families and kind of being separated has kind of amped up pressures on what it means to be a man. Like I can no longer go out of the house and achieve and provide and do all of this, all of the things that I was told that I'm supposed to do. Have you, how has that uh, affected Movember seeing men physically distanced from each other and isolated in their own homes a lot of the time? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting challenge. And, and I think there's a, there's always a lens I put on this and, and, you know, there are, there are folks like myself um, that have been given opportunity and, and I'm grateful for that. And I also, you know, very quickly in terms of what I do, I could move to working from home and I could work remotely. And as a business, we were set up that way. So that's just an observation, a lens I put on this. My question is always to the men who couldn't do that, right? Uh, the men who were working two jobs, uh, to provide for their family, uh, working in restaurants, you know, how, how do, how do we engage them? Because I think those types of men, those men, uh, in, you know, certain types of industries like restaurants, um, really struggled, right? They were you know, a lot of lost income. You saw the workforce change dramatically. Um, yes, there was some level of investment in different markets around supporting, people who had lost their jobs or their jobs had been uh, shuttered for some time. But the challenge is how do we, how do we now, as we're coming out of this, um, provide and support those men as they're re-entering the workforce and the workforce and the workplace has changed dramatically, right? All you have to do is look at someone like Salesforce who's gone completely virtual, right? There is no office anymore for them. So how do you how do you find those workplaces as we talked about earlier, where men are congregating to provide support? Um, how do you support those men that 
you know, have left the workforce but want to reenter it. Um, it's a it's a huge challenge, and, and admittedly, uh, Movember only plays a, a a part of that role. Uh, we focus on you know, prevention, early prevention, and social connection and conversation amongst men to provide a backbone to have more detailed conversation about struggles at work, uh, struggles in the family. So who are other partners that we can be working with, like yourselves, moving forward to really re-engage men? Because there are a lot of men who are still hurting and they're not back to where they were pre-pandemic. Um, and that's going to create a lot of challenges if we don't focus on it and work together to figure out how do we move forward and solve that problem? Thank you. Beautifully said. And that moves me, uh, watching our time, that moves me kind of into my next space. So when I think about the last two years and my experience and what I've witnessed um, in our community in the Mankind Project, you know, I, I now know half a dozen men who have died from COVID, men who I knew, men who I had been in meetings with. Um, and I think that there is a, a, a necessity for us as a culture, and let's see if you agree with this, to kind of do collective grief. And I'm wondering, this might, this might push, your, push your edge, but I know that I've been grieving these kinds of losses and these kinds of changes. So what has you grieving these days in the world that, that you're living in? Yeah, that's a, thank you for that question. It's a, it's an emotional one for me. Um, I haven't, you know, as much been impacted directly by loss due to COVID. Um, but you can't look at 700,000 American lives lost and, and not think to, I know someone, a degree of separation that has experienced that. And you can't replace that. And I think you know, whatever your, your leanings are uh, with respect to um, the disease and the rollout of vaccines, like we have to reflect on those 700,000 lives. And, and I understand that's, that's someone's mother, father, aunt, uncle, uh, son, right? And there's a collective grieving that I, I don't think has happened here yet. And that's not even including the people who are going to be suffering with, with, you know, long haul COVID symptoms. How are we going to care for those people? Uh, is my question. So it's not, it's not something we, I think, as a nation really come back around to, right? For you, it's very personal because these are individuals you knew. Um, but we collectively as a nation, I don't think, have really figured out how to grieve because there's a lot of noise uh, in what's happened in the last two years and a lot of confusion uh, about what actually happened, but there's 700,000 lives that have been lost to this. So how do we, how do we grieve for them? On a personal level, um, you know, I lost my mother to ovarian cancer three weeks ago. So um, I'm grieving differently. And, you know, I'm reflecting on, back to my point, you know, how they raised me as a, as a man, uh, what I've learned from her as, you know, it, it takes it takes a whole host of people to um, I'm sorry and I get emotional about this it's, it's hard not to so so close to the event um, but um, you know who she was as a person and and you know how she raised me is still very top of mind and you know my parents did a great job and I'm, and I'm, I'm thankful 
uh, for her. Uh, and it will be tough. It'll be tough not to have her. So I'll, I'll stop there. Thank you, Mark. I'm very sorry for your loss. And thank you for bringing the authenticity of what's present for you right into the room with you. Thank you. And I think for me, uh, hmm, September is the, in a, my mother died September 13th, 2002. And September is a time when my entire family reflects on this day. And I have, I have six brothers, five of whom are my mother's sons. So my mother gave birth to six boys and September always brings this back for us as well. And so thank you. Thank you for sharing that, that vulnerability. Next to grief. I often find gratitude. So as you're, as you're sitting where you are and looking forward, and this can be from the November perspective, this could also be from your personal perspective, like what do you see that you are grateful for or inspired by or hopeful for moving into, you know, November starting in a month or where we are as a culture. I'm hopeful for the fact that we can have these conversations and that it's, and that it is leading somewhere. Um, I'm grateful for what you do as an organization and the conversation you're trying to have, what November is doing and others. I think there's a consciousness that's coming from this, right? And it's, it's been muted um, with the last two years. And I think, so through that, what we're going to realize is there's some real challenges, but there's some real, real uh, great solutions out there, great organizations out there uh, that are focused on this. So how do we collectively come together to address this challenge? And it's not the only challenge that we as a community or as a society face right now, but how do we look at what was already an ongoing public health crisis, which is suicide in America uh, and mental health in America, to understand where do we go from here? And how has the last two years of the pandemic changed that, both negatively and positively? But getting to a place that I'm grateful for is that the conversation is even happening, right? That the consciousness is being raised and that in places and spaces, we're having a positive influence on masculinity and how men and boys are talking about what they feel and what they think. And so that gives me hope that it can actually change. Um, and, you know, in my own life, I can influence my father. In my own life, I can influence my brothers and my son. And that's where it has to start for me. But then as we build that community, we can start expanding those rings of influence and expanding those rings of opportunity. And I, and I think there's permission now that maybe didn't exist 10 to 15 years ago. It was hidden. It was not out in front, but you can't look at what's happening in America with men's mental health and what's happening to men in the workforce and not say that there's a challenge here. We've got to solve it. So I'm hopeful and I'm, I'm grateful that we're in the place and space and organizations and and others are focused on trying to figure this out and solve it. 
Beautifully said, beautifully said. Yes, uh, it may seem daunting to look out at the culture and wonder how we can change the culture, but you pointed it out, I think, perfectly. I can change a microculture that's right around me, right? I can influence my family. I can influence my circle of friends. I can influence the guys that I hang out with to watch the game or the guys that I'm doing service with or the guys in my men's work. And those microculture changes can very quickly snowball. And I, I'm grateful right along with you, Mark, that I don't think this conversation was happening in this way. 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I think that it's, I think it continues to grow. So I am super grateful for your willingness to show up here and to get vulnerable and to share about Movember. And as the final kind of thing, uh, you have the opportunity to give your uh, take action now for the folks who are listening to the podcast. So what do you want people to do? Two things. Take the time to connect or reconnect with people. Unplug from the day-to-day, from your devices, and spend time having a conversation and a meaningful conversation and listening. Uh, and then I think, you know, if you haven't looked at November, give us a chance. Uh, understand that you can have some fun with uh, what we do in the campaign. Uh, you don't have to grow a mustache, per se. You can... Embrace November in whichever way you want. Um, you can move together. You can host an event. Um, but come back around to taking a look at Movember.com and understanding what the campaign is and the fun side of what we do, but also spending some time on the website, understanding the work we're trying to do and where we can support you and your community. Um, those would be the two things I would say. Mark Hedstrom, Executive Director of the Movember Foundation in the United States. Mark, thank you for taking the time to be with us on the Mankind Podcast. Thank you, Boyson. Really uh, appreciate the conversation today and appreciate the opportunity. This has been another episode of the Mankind Podcast, produced in association with the Mankind Project USA. We have been your hosts, Boyson Hodgson and myself, Brandon Clift, and we want to thank our guests for joining us today and imparting their wisdom from their experiences in this amazing journey called life. If you want to find out more about today's guests and support them in their mission, you can find links to them in the show notes. Now, if you have found gold and insights that you believe could benefit your loved ones and those you care about, be sure to share it with them. And of course, we are always grateful for a rating and review of the show on iTunes. Now, above all else, we've got to thank you, the listener, because through your attention and your support, you have made it possible for us to let men all over the world know that they are not alone and that there is more than one way to be a man. And if something in this episode has touched you, then perhaps it is the call to action to get involved in men's work. With live trainings happening constantly and in-person trainings happening all over the world, the Mankind Project definitely has something for you. Now, if you've enjoyed the music in this episode and all of our episodes, be sure to check out Jim Donovan and the Sun King Warriors. I have links to them in the show notes. And lastly, just know what it means to me to be a man is completely different than what it means for you. That is the beauty of this journey. So if you are looking for guidance, support, and community 
as you begin to unpack and dive deeper into your men's work journey, then you know where to find us. Same place, same time next week. Lots of love. We'll see you then.